Thank you, boys and girls. Have a good time at Children's Church. There you go. There you go. This morning, um, I'm going to uh, invite Kevin Martin to join me here up in the front. And uh, we're going to have a, a little bit of a testimony time. Kevin uh, and I were talking this morning, and we were remembering that we were praying really hard for Kevin. It's been almost four months ago now. It was April, um, and, uh, but I'm, I don't want to get ahead of us. Um, Kevin, thanks for, for being willing to come and share a little bit of your story today as far as what God's been doing in your life. Um, you have been around Media Mennonite Church and now Waterway Church for pretty much your entire life. I know way longer than I've been here, um, and so I know God's been working in your life for a long time. Yes, that's true, and God is wonderful, God is good. Uh, just want to share a little bit about the accident I had. Uh, many of you probably have heard it. Uh, one morning, uh, we had a cow, and some of the cows can be very protective of their young, and uh, the calf was having difficulty uh, drinking from the cow, and... Uh, like normal, I thought I could help. You're not a new farmer, are you? You've been yeah. doing this your whole life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I actually mentioned something to my son, Philip, who was out on the truck. He said, ah, maybe you should wait till I get home. <laughs> I think Gerald said something this morning about listening to instructions. <laughs> but anyhow, so I decided to go ahead, went in a pen, was getting a gate so I could move the cow around. That's all I remember. Hmm. What I'll tell you now is secondhand. Somehow I wound up on our deck. Um, the doorbell had rung. Robin went to the door. She didn't see anybody. Looked over a little bit and I was sitting in a chair and my boots were up next to the house. How that happened, I have no idea. I know God was in it. That'd be a guardian angel somehow. So, so you, just, just to be clear, you don't recall any of that? You, no. But, but you were, you got run over or something in the pen yes. by an animal. Yes. But you made your way across your driveway, up onto your back porch, your boots were there, the doorbell rang, Robin came out and found you, and no one else was around No, as far as anybody could see. No. And you don't remember anything? No. <laughs> so I've, I've heard this story, and I was there a couple hours after, but it still just blows me away how even in tragedy, God can work in amazing ways. So what happened, what happened next? Robin found you on the porch in bad shape. Yeah, apparently I could respond a little bit she was trying to figure out what to do, made some phone calls, eventually called 911. Uh, some of my family showed up very quickly, which amazes me. And uh, I was taken to the hospital. Uh, apparently at one point, my heart rate was down to 50, which doesn't sound very good. I don't know what happened. <laughs> That doesn't sound good, Kevin, no. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, after a while, I guess they had checked me all out and uh, 
Now I get back to where I remember. I was in a room, Robin was there, Jesse was there, uh, Diana and Kevin were in the hospital, and it's like, huh, I wonder what all happened. <laughs> and you realize that oftentimes when you're injured, there's anxiety. I didn't have any anxiety, everybody else did. By that time, they were saying everything was okay, nothing was broke. I didn't have a bad concussion, I had a bad laceration on my head. So I was ready to go home. Why did that all happen? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know why it happened, but it happened. And God brought you through it, and, and I can't tell you how many times that day and in the weeks after that, as you told that story and as others learned about it, how many times did people say, boy, it could have been so much worse? Right. Absolutely, and, and it could have been. I know of plenty of stories where a person in that situation did not walk away. I say I don't know why it happened. I really don't. I know it's in God's providence. I do know that I have a story, and a lot of people are asking what happened. And... I have realized how important our story is to other people when you bring God's will into it. God was there that day, and I must say that it amazes me how the word went out and my family was praying, this church was praying, the community, especially the farm community, was praying and this all happened before I even knew what was going on. <laughs> and so we praise God that even when, even when we're in the dark, even when we don't understand, um, God is still at work. God is, he is always there, always present. Kevin, thank you for sharing your story today. Is there any, while you're still sitting here, any, any further prayer request or encouragement that you would give to us? Well, I, I've heard a lot about lately, and I think you're going to continue on this theme, the battles that we are in, mm. and uh, we are in battles. We are soldiers for Christ, and uh, there's people that I know have struggled with things much longer than what I struggled with with that, but you all have a story. Tell it. Mm. Tell it with God in your background, mm. because the world listens when you have a story. Mm -hmm. And uh, things aren't by luck. They're by God's will. Mm -hmm. And fight on. And uh, just pray for our families. And uh, I had to think a little bit about this battle thing. And I thought about in uh, Revelations when uh, Christ was giving a word to the churches. He all... He gave a, uh, how would you say, at the end, he told them that if you overcome, certain things will happen, and it includes our names being written down hmm. forever, being with Christ, having the temple, the city of God written on us, the name of God written on us. If you didn't want a tattoo, somehow you might get one. <laughs> but anyhow... That's what we're looking forward to, and, and it, our stories are all part of this, and these baptisms in the last 
few weeks, that's where it's really at. Mm -hmm. That's what's really good. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for my brother, Kevin, and I thank you that you were with him and close by him and active um, even in, in ways that he doesn't know about and that none of us know about. Lord, you were at work, and so we praise you. Lord, I pray that you'll help all of us now to move forward, trusting that you will come through even when we don't see it, even when we don't get it, and even when we don't realize it. Lord, help us to trust you, know that you are good and that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, brother. It is good to hear these stories, isn't it? It is. And I, I do wonder, um, you've, you, some of you have heard me talk before, I, I wonder what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Are, are, there, are there campfires in heaven? Because I know for me, campfires are the times when the good stories come out. Just, I, I, I wonder, I, I wonder if, if one of those things that I might get to enjoy, you, you might have your own way of, of really looking forward to things, but I wonder if, if we might be able to, to hear more of those stories for eternity. God, God telling us, Jesus telling us, and our brothers and sisters telling us, do you see what happened? Do you, do you see what I did? Do you see what you've been brought through? It's interesting, Kevin talked about um, how so many of you and how so many in the community and how so many in his family were praying for him and supporting him. Uh, Kevin's blessed. He's lived in this area for a long time. He's got a lot of connections. He's been at this church for a long time. A lot of you, even if you don't know him well, you know his name. He's been an elder here, and so he's been in front, and, and you've gotten to know him. Um, it reminds me, as I hear some of Kevin's story, I hear about and remember what it was like to be in the hospital and be beside him. Um, not all of you who are here are as well connected with your community or with your family or with this church. Some of your relationships are newer. Um, and you're getting things figured out. And, and one of the challenges as Pastor Steve and I try to continue to relate to everyone and help to care for the church is that um, there are getting to be more and more of you here. So that means a few more emergency room calls. That means a few more ambulance rides. That means more people to check in on, more prayers and more visits and that kind of thing. And so um, I want to let you know kind of a little commercial here, I guess, before we get into the sermon, um, that we are kicking off a new ministry here with the goal of helping to care for people better. Um, in Acts chapter 6, there's a, an idea and a term that comes up, the idea of deacons. Um, in Acts chapter 6, there was this story. This is just um, uh, very shortly after Jesus ascended back into heaven. The needs of the widows in town were being overlooked. So the apostles, those who had been the closest followers of Jesus, the apostles gathered the followers of Jesus, asked them to select people to care for the needs of the widows, and they chose seven local folks to help care for their needs. Deacons are also mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you'd like to read that, it tells you about the list of qualifications of serving as a deacon. Phoebe is listed as a deacon in Romans 16, and the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, mentions elders and deacons. And so we've created and, and we're beginning to kick off a deacon ministry that is about caring for the congregation here at Waterway. Now, Pastor Steve and I are still going to do the vast majority of visiting in hospitals, nursing homes, and at homes, and, and we're going to be looking after folks as they go through grief and transitions, big transitions like that in life. We're going to continue to make phone calls to check in on people, but we've realized that with the increased number of folks here, we need additional help to make sure that we care for everybody well. 
So we have three couples who have uh, agreed to serve as, as deacons for the time being. Now, these deacons are not assigned a special group of people to oversee and visit. I know those of you who have been at different churches over the years have had deacons perhaps at those churches that had different kinds of roles. Well, what we're doing here, this is not a group that is assigned to visit all of you in a, in a course of time. They're not going to be visiting families to deal with counseling issues or problems or to see if you're ready to take communion. Don't go to the deacons because you have a concern about the church. You can still talk to our elders and talk to the pastors. And the deacons are not a policy-making group. They are commissioned just to care for the physical and material needs of our people. And they'll be assigned their tasks and their jobs by man, Pastor Steve. So if you know of a physical and material need, please continue to call the church office. Or if it's an emergency and it's not office hours, contact me or Pastor Steve directly. Our contact information is in your bulletin. If a family member is going to the hospital, please contact the office and then me or Steve if you need to. If you're having surgery, the same thing. If you need a ride to the doctors or a hospital, call the church and then call Pastor Steve or I if, if it's odd hours, right? Hopefully you see a pattern here. Put the church phone number and my number and Steve's cell number in your contacts list on your phone and don't be afraid to call us. Lately, a lot of people have been starting conversations with me and Steve with, I know you're busy, but, and we are busy, just like you are. We're all busy, but things happen in life that cause us to pause and stop and go do something else that's more important. So call and talk. Don't be afraid to reach out. We want to help. Now, just really quickly, um, the following couples have agreed to serve as deacons. I think they're all here today. Jim and Kathy Witter are one of those couples that are going to be, just raise your hand for those who don't know you. Um, Bill and Kathy Johnson are going to be helping out. Where are they at? Right here in the middle. And then uh, Gerald and Vicki King are going to be helping out as well. So uh, pray for the Witters, the Johnsons, and the Kings as they help me and Steve to care for you. So that's just a little bit of a commercial this morning and something you can be keeping in mind as, as our church grows and congregation grows and we try to continue to teach each other well and serve each other well, care for each other well, as we all, you know, try to become more like Jesus. I wonder, um, before we dive in, can we read some scripture together? Today we're going to be focusing on Genesis chapter 3, the first 13 verses. And uh, this, is, this is what it says. Would you read along with me? Can we read this out loud together? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Sometimes it's hard even to read these things out loud together, isn't it? So here we have this story in Genesis 3, very early in the beginning of the Bible. And last week, as Ross alluded to, I spoke uh, and and taught from Genesis chapter 2, which tells of the story of God creating humanity and, and thinking about why God created humanity and what we are here for. And so last week, I kind of opened up with this idea that if there were just a couple of things that I could tell a new Christian to to make sure that they knew, I'd want to make sure that a new Christian knows that, that God loves us so much and that God sent Jesus to rescue and save us so that we are never out of hope. And, and last week, I kind of teased this idea that the rest, of, the rest of life on this earth is going to be a battle, even for Christians, even for people who love the Lord. Why is it that way? Well, let's see how some of this reality unfolds. So here in Genesis chapter three, it starts out with this serpent. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, as we get started, I want you to know that I'm seeing the word serpent and understanding that as a reference to Satan or the devil. It doesn't explicitly say that here in Genesis. But in the rest of the Bible, because Genesis doesn't stand alone, it's not here all by itself. In the rest of the Bible, particularly in Revelation 12, Revelation 20, and Ezekiel 28, the devil is talked about as a serpent, and we can connect some dots. Most Christians see the serpent here in Genesis 3 as a mouthpiece for the devil. In any case, this serpent is doing the same kind of talking that we see the devil doing later in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, There's a story about Satan coming to Jesus. And this, by the way, for those of you who have been baptized the last couple weeks, interestingly, this passage in Matthew chapter four comes right on the heels of Jesus' own baptism, okay? So Jesus didn't get baptized and then all of a sudden, okay, I'm on easy street now because I've checked off that box. No, this is when the temptation actually ratcheted up. It says in Matthew chapter four, verse three, that the tempter, that is, Satan, came to Jesus and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus responded to him with scripture and said that man does not live by bread alone. Then in Matthew 4, verse 5, right after that, like in the same conversation, it says the devil took Jesus to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then the devil said this, quoting scripture. He said, it is written, God will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. We're told that the serpent is crafty. Does this sound like a crafty discussion from Satan? Jesus again answered Satan with scripture and says, we're not supposed to put God to the test. So again, a third time, the devil, it says in Matthew 4, 8, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And Satan said to Jesus, all this I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus says, away from me, away from me. This is is not true. This is not good. This is not real. Here, 
Here, there is the devil speaking to Jesus. In Genesis 3, we see the serpent speaking to Eve, and we can hear the same kind of language and the same kind of speech. And, and it can all be wrapped up, really, with what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus was speaking to some folks who opposed him, and he said, he said, you all, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's true about the account of the devil in Matthew chapter 4. It's true about the account of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. So do you see what the Bible shows us? In Genesis and Matthew and John, we get this picture of sneakiness, craftiness, and lies trying to undermine and undercut the foundation of God's truth. This is how it begins for us. It's how it began for Eve. Do you see how the serpent engaged her? Did God really say? Right? This is not a full-on frontal attack. This is a sneaky, sideways, hey, I'm, just, I'm just asking, Eve. Did God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. See, that's not really a question, is it? I mean, it kind of sounds like, did God? It's not really a question. What is the serpent doing here? The serpent is bringing an accusation, getting Eve to think about God's communication in a way that begins to erode trust. In Genesis chapter 2, 15, just in case you're struggling to kind of keep up with the story. So just a bit earlier than what we're reading about here with the serpent. And, and in fact, it was right before Eve was created. God spoke to Adam when Adam was the only human on earth and Adam was in the garden. And God spoke to Adam and said in Genesis 2.15, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will sure, certainly die. The serpent knew something about that conversation, didn't he? How could the serpent have even referenced it with, hey, Eve, did God really say? How could the serpent have even referenced it, twisted as his reference was? Crafty, cunning, lurking. Maybe it's a question or an accusation or even a mild suggestion, but evil is always working toward something. Like I said, it's rarely a head-on attack. I mean, really, would it have worked if the serpent just came up to Eve with some fruit and said, here, eat this? You know, like, Harry and Lloyd, why don't you try your burger? No, Satan's the father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language, and he is smooth. But it's the next step that is crucial. It is the response of humanity to this kind of falsehood, this kind of accusation, this kind of craftiness. It's the response that is the battle. This is the battle. How do we respond? We can see what Eve did, and, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But as we're going through this, I want you to think, how do you respond to the power of these kinds of suggestions in your life? What do you do when you hear outright lies? And what do you do when you hear even a hint of accusation against God? Now remember, church, we as humans are created in the image of God. Our decisions make a difference. And those of us who are saved, we are in the household of God. We have the authority of the Holy Spirit within us. We are not powerless. See, when somebody says the devil made me do it, that's not a real thing. That's church lady, right? That's not truth. The devil can't make us do anything. Scripture tells us that we are given authority in the name of Jesus. But sometimes we like to 
pass the blame, just like Adam who said, well, my wife gave it to me. And just like Eve who said, well, the serpent told me. No, the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. But what can the devil do? What do we know about him? We know he's crafty. And frankly, some of us don't need very much encouragement to go in a wrong direction. This is why we, who are made in the image of God, are called to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, because our response to the work of the evil one is what is crucial. This is the battlefield. The woman said to the serpent, look at verse 2 of Genesis chapter 3. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, now, now here she is remembering what Adam must have told her because in Genesis 2.15, God told this to Adam and now Eve is saying a version of this warning to the serpent. God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, it is a dangerous thing to misquote God. I wonder, because God didn't say to Adam that you can't touch the tree. God simply said, don't eat from this tree. But Eve added, for some reason, Eve added that you must not touch it. Did Adam pass it along wrong? When Adam was telling Eve, when, when she showed up in the garden, he said, whoa, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. By the way, we shouldn't eat from that tree. Don't even go near it. Don't touch it. Did Eve hear him wrong? Did Eve just make something up? Well, that doesn't seem likely because at this point, Adam and Eve are still perfect humans. There is no sin in them. They are still good. They are still very good. And so, so the serpent whispers, did God really say? And she said, well, yeah, God did say that we shouldn't eat from it. We shouldn't touch it. We shouldn't die. She answers with the truth, sort of. And then the serpent counters because he is shrewd. In verse four, now this is where it gets more direct. You can see this, right? You won't certainly die. See, now he directly contradicts what God actually did say. Look at verse five. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see how this works? It starts with a little question, just a little taste, just a little picture, a little look, a quick idea, an urge. It starts with that little thing that, that maybe we would say, oh, that's not a big deal, but then it escalates to being a full-on contradiction of God. And now Eve is at the spot, and we're going to find in just a moment that Adam's there too. Eve is at a spot where she has to decide, do I believe God or do I believe the serpent? And this is the battle that you and I face every day too. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, what is she doing looking at it? Just get away, clear your head, get away from the situation. Don't even, I don't know what's going on, but let's, but when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. See, this is not just a failure of Eve. This is a failure of Adam and Eve. He is there with her. All of humanity is a mess. Adam, the one who did hear directly from God. Adam, who was likely there 
when the serpent was speaking to Eve. Adam, who is now being offered some fruit by his wife and he knows it is wrong, what does he do? He's not at this point choosing between just the serpent and God, but now his wife is involved too. And what does he do? He gave in. He went with the lie. He refused to say up and say, no, God spoke. I know what's right. We're not going to do this. No, Adam acquiesced and he went right along and he ate it. And it says in verse seven that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. How pathetic. At the end of, at the end of, <laughs> at the end of Genesis chapter two, we see that these, these two are, are naked and unashamed. But now they are fearful and sewing fig leaves together. I would challenge you to go home today, sew together a fig leaf, and see if you're comfortable going out in public. Well, people's comfort in going out in public is probably not the good measuring stick. Sew it together and see if it's any good at all. This is what they do. And now the consequences of One decision and then two decisions just roll because it says in verse eight that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, their creator, the one who loved them. They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They had been naked and unashamed. What a shame. And this kicked off an entire history of humans afraid and hiding. Still, we follow our ancestors, don't we? We're ashamed. We try to cover it up. We hide. But the Lord God called out to them and calls out to us, where are you? Now again, another question that's not really a question because God knows where Adam and Eve are. God knows everything. Certainly he can know where these two fig leaf sowers are hiding. Why did God ask the question, where are you? Well, he keeps asking it today, doesn't he? Don't you hear that question from time to time? Don't you hear God speaking to you from time to time? Whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether you're in a good place with God or a bad place, don't you, don't you hear God pursuing you? Where are you? God asks the question because he wants to engage Adam. He asks a question because he wants to hear an answer. He asks, and by the way, God having known that they sinned would have been entirely justified to just wipe them both out and start over. I mean, there's only two of them, the collateral damage. How difficult could it be? Okay, these two are morons. Get them out of here. Let's put in two new models and maybe they'll be better. God loves them so much that he engages them. Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Isn't it interesting, parents, when your children just begin to discover that naked is not okay all the time? That happens at different ages for different little kids, but little babies, they're not ashamed. You give them a bath, just, here, this is me. But there gets to be a point, right, where as humans, we start to cover up. Adam and Eve had such innocence that they, naked wasn't even an issue for them. So this is who I am. There's no shame here. But now they're hiding. God says, what's going on, guys? Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked. And so God says, who told you that? Wait, what's going on? Have you eaten from the tree? 
And then God asks a direct question. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And what does Adam say? He doesn't say, yeah, I'm sorry. And he doesn't say, no, and try to weasel his way out of it. What does he do? He kicks off another one of those hallmarks of broken relationships. He says, the woman you put me here with. But that's the second time I read that wrong. I read that. The woman you put here with me. Why did God bring Eve to the man? Why did God put Adam asleep and, and make Eve out of his rib? Because Adam was alone and it wasn't good for him to be alone. And now Adam is saying, not even really saying that it's Eve's fault. Who is Adam really accusing here? The woman you put here with me. We blame our spouses for a lot of stuff. Do you ever blame God right along with them? This one that you called me to. This one that you led me to. Is there ever attempt? Oh boy, when we blame anyone, it is always a problem. But do you see some of the patterns starting here in Genesis 3 that we've just worked out for the rest of these millennia? Well, God, I mean, I, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. My wife put something in front of me. I don't ask any questions. I just eat it. And now relationships are compromised. Relationships with God, relationships between Adam and Eve. Then the Lord God said to the woman, okay, what is this you have done? The woman said, well, the serpent lied to me, deceived me, and I ate it. And the rest of Genesis 3 lays out three consequences. First, the serpent is going to crawl on his belly and be hated by people because of what he has done. How many of you love snakes? Not as many of you as hate snakes. Eve and women after her who have children are going to have to endure great pain in that childbirth. And emotions will be harder in marriage. If you want to read more about this, just read Genesis 3, 14 and following. You can, you can see this today as you go home for lunch. So women are going to have greater pain in childbirth and relationships, especially marriage relationships, are going to be harder because of a, because of a new dynamic, a, a power jostling between husbands and wives. And men, men are going to have to work harder for their food, for their very survival, and that work is going to be painful, and the earth now is going to have weeds and thorns. It's not going to be just walk up to any tree you like and, and grab a piece of fruit and eat it. You're going to have to work for it, and we know this, don't we? Men, women, we know this. All because Why? It says in Genesis 3.17, God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you must not eat from it, there are these curses now. Adam listened to Eve instead of God, and all of humanity has followed some version of that story ever since. There is God's way, and then somebody suggests another way. And which way do we go now? This is spiritual warfare. This is not the only kind of battle we face, but I want to suggest to you that this is the most common, the most repeated, the most often. It is an ever-present battle that we seem to face. God has said one way, and we know it. And a person brings another way. Or, or maybe Satan whispers to us, well, you know, there's, there's this other possibility because Satan is a spirit. He speaks to us in a spiritual realm. He doesn't have to be standing in front of us for us to hear him. He has the ability to suggest things to people. Not to, not to take us over, but to suggest things. And, and really, how many of us put up much of a fight? 
if you are honest. How many of you are, are hiding today? You're feeling naked and, and, and ashamed because there is something, even in the last week, that you knew the right way to go, but someone or something put to you this other option and you took what was behind door number two. Church, the things that we believe matter. The choices that we make matter because our beliefs drive our actions and our actions have consequences. We are in a battle constantly to believe the right things. There's a battle when you go to the beach. Men, I'm speaking especially to you. It is a constant parade of flesh. And it's one thing to just look up, oh, okay, there's people here in bathing suits. But how many of you know that it is wrong to linger? It is wrong to stare and it is wrong to imagine. But in that moment, you have a choice that says, nobody's going to notice. Nobody's even going to, everybody else is doing it. Just look again. Think about that some more and file that away for later. There's your spiritual warfare there. How many of you are winning that battle? There's that battle at four o'clock in the morning when you wake up and you're still tired, but you can't fall back to sleep because all you can think about is what's coming up that day and you're wondering if you're going to be able to get it done. You're wondering if you're going to be able to rise to the occasion and carry out the tasks that are before you. And so you lay there, even though you have an hour or two hours before you have to get up and you lay there and you can't sleep and you know, you're saying in your mind, I need to trust God. God is good. God loves me. God, God doesn't give me more than I can handle. But yet you fall prey to that worry because it's not always a choice that we make. Sometimes it seems like we just get carried into it. But how many thoughts do we entertain that we should have just pushed away or at least prayed about? God, help me with this. God, I'm, boy, I feel, I'm feeling this thing rising up in me. I'm, I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling anxious. Lord, I'm feeling afraid. Would you please help me? How many of you go to prayer first thing? There's a battle that we fight when the kids get on the bus. They're going to encounter all different kinds of ideas at school. Are they ready? Have we taught them? Satan whispers into our ears, be afraid. Or for some of us, Satan whispers, things are fine, check out. Both are wrong. The scripture tells us, train up your children in the way they should go. But how many of us just kind of go with the other way? We don't really train our kids. Or we get into fear. And the scripture is very clear that we don't need to worry about things. We, we simply need to engage. Some of you don't have kids getting on the bus. Maybe you're a homeschooler. That's great. But how many of you have to fight that battle? <laughs> Maybe it's even a battle with your kids. When it's time to finally open the homeschool curriculum and you have to be the teacher. How many of you are able to keep your mind set on things above and not just on earthly things? How many of you are able to do the things that you're responsible to do and not just put them off till tomorrow? There's a battle when others share their testimony. Sometimes we hear people telling stories and we think, oh, I don't have a story like that. Oh, Kevin, I'm so glad that you shared this morning, just reminding us that we all have a story. But how many of you, honestly, over the last couple of weeks thought, I, I don't have a God story like that? And how many of you have then assumed something about yourself that is not true? That the second thing that says, see, you don't really believe. See, you don't really know God. See, God doesn't really love you. 
these accusations come against us. We're simply called, though, in Scripture to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn and understand that we all have different stories. There is a battle every time something bad happens around us. Are we going to believe that God is still good, that God still loves us, and that God is still in control, like the Scripture says? Or are we going to believe that now it's up to us and we had better come through or this is all going to fall apart? Do you see there's the temptation to believe the lie and then there's our decision about what we do with the lie and then the dominoes fall. God loves us so much. He sent his son Jesus to rescue us and save us. And church, the rest of life on this earth is going to be a battle. We're going to continue this conversation next week. But I want to suggest to you right now, here in the last moments of this morning together, I want to suggest to you that you are not helpless. There is a battle around us. There are lies being thrown against you. And I do believe that Satan is greatly powerful and highly influential around us. But with the power of Christ, we can overcome him. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we are told to be alert and of sober mind. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour But in Ephesians 6, it says that we can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We can put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. There are schemes, but we can stand against them. How do we do this? Here's what you study today and what we're going to talk about more next week. It's all in Ephesians chapter 6. There's other stuff in scripture, but this is so clear and really very simple. This is what we do. We put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, 13, so that when the day of evil comes, that is when you hear those whispers that are contrary to the truth of God, you can stand your ground. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. What if either Adam or Eve had stayed totally in God's truth? Would the story have been different? What if they had armored up and put the belt of truth around their waist? It says in Ephesians 6, 14, We should stand firm with a breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness is about acting in accordance with God's law. What if Adam and Eve had acted in accordance? God's law hadn't been all spelled out the way we see it yet in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but he had told them, don't eat this. What if they just stood in that? Is that that so mind-blowing? No, it's basic. But this is why we're told, have truth around your waist. Have a breastplate of righteousness in place. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Peace is about harmony with God, not just an absence of war. Ephesians 6, 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith is believing that things are true even if you can't see it. Even if you're confused by the attack against you, even if you don't know how you got from the barn to the porch, You can lean on the truth of the Bible that says, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I am a child of God. You can lean on these truths, even when you don't understand it. Ephesians 6, 17 says that we should have the helmet of salvation. It protects our head. I'm saved and I know it. And we should have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, we're not doing all of this ourselves. We pray to God and we trust that the Holy Spirit will give us power. Romans 8 says that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. And then this is, a, this is Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And this is why we take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then in Ephesians 6, 18, it says that we should pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests all the time. Pray. Prayer works. Believe this. As this Ephesians 6 passage comes to an end, it says with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Why? Because of the writing on the wall.
This is not just for ourselves, but this is for everybody we know. We need to keep on praying for the Lord's people because we want to see everybody we know become more like Jesus. Church, will you pray with me? God, we believe that prayer works. Sometimes we fit it into a formula. Sometimes it's on a schedule. And sometimes, frankly, we just don't think about it much at all. But Lord, I declare to you now that prayer works. Church, is there an amen in there anywhere? Lord, we know that you hear us when we pray. Lord, you know that you are powerful. We know that you show up when we need you. And we know that you give us everything that we need. Not when we want it, not when we think we need it, but when the need is real. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we have voices whispering in our ears and we have urges coming from our flesh daily, even moment by moment. Lord, most of us in the last hour have been tempted to believe or think or dwell on something that is not true. Lord, would you please continue to help us? Help us to stand firm in truth and righteousness, in faith, in peace. Lord, help us to remember that you are working even when we don't see it and we don't get it. Lord, help us to stay engaged, not just so that each of us can stand on our own, so that together, so that together we can stand and be your people, be the family of God. Lord, help us now. Help us now. Show us your way and give us the courage to follow in that way. Lord, help us to stand firm on truth, to stand up against the devil, and to reject all the lies that battle for the attention of our minds. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ who overcame all and who has now given us authority. We pray in his powerful name. Amen.